Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. This is an encore presentation of Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And I am happy to say we have an occasion of an East-West event, which is part of the point of this program, to bring you the riches of the church East and West, but of course primarily the Eastern churches. But we have an event that both of us can rejoice in, East and West, both lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II would call it. A New Jersey native, her name is Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovic. She was a contemplative nun of the Sisters of Charity. She is going to be beatified in Newark. Uh, this information comes from Zenit, which is a good source, zenit.org, the world seen from Rome. Sister Miriam Teresa Damianovich, a Byzantine Catholic sister who died in 1927 at the age of 26, will be beatified October 4th in her home state of New Jersey. Bishop Kurt Burnett, Bishop of the Catholic Byzantine Eparchy of Pasek, New Jersey, announced that Cardinal Angelo Amato, Prefect of the Congregation for Saints' Causes, will celebrate the liturgy. Quote, Not many people around the country are aware that an American woman, Sister Miriam Teresa, will be declared blessed, Bishop Burnett said in a letter inviting Catholics of the region to the ceremony. I believe, I believe many Americans will be edified to know that a fellow citizen is on the road to canonization. Furthermore, Many Americans will find their friendship with God or have their friendship enlivened when they discover her writings on prayer, unquote. Those writings were published in the 1930s after the nun's death. Now, during Sister Miriam Teresa's time as a sister, she wrote a series of 26 letters anonymously, but which were later revealed to be hers and were published in book form. Read more about her life and writings at the website of the Sisters of Charity. What is it to pray, she wrote, Prayer is the breathing into the soul of the life-giving ether, God. The soul breathes in God. It should be as natural for us to pray as to breathe. I felt very intensely that if people only sought God in all earnestness, they would find him, she wrote in another letter. And if all would only make use of the ordinary duties and trials of their state in the way God intended, they would all become saints. 
Sister Miriam was born in 1901 in Bayonne, New Jersey. The future contemplative earned a bachelor's degree in literature from the College of St. Elizabeth in New Jersey, a rarity for American women in 1923. Although raised in the Byzantine Catholic Church, two years after graduation, she entered the contemplative religious order of the Sisters of Charity. The order was founded by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first American to be declared a saint. Because Sister Miriam Teresa died before professing final vows in the order, she never changed to the Latin Catholic rite, which is why Byzantine Catholics will hail her in a special way for the beatification. The miracle leading to the beatification and attributed to Sister Miriam Teresa's intercession also occurred in New Jersey. The beneficiary of the miracle was a boy who attended a school run by the Sisters of Charity. His name was Michael. He was a third grader in 1963 who was deemed legally blind due to bilateral macular degeneration. The condition is incurable now as it was then and leads to total blindness. The sisters at the school and all the pressures of St. Athanasius Parish and Teaneck prayed for Sister Miriam's intercession. The boy regained his sight completely without treatment of any kind. In the investigation for Sister Miriam's cause, the unexplained cure was deemed to be a miracle, leading to her beatification next month. Now, the cause for her canonization was begun by the Patterson Diocese in 1945. So this is an interesting case, first of all, on many levels. First of all, we have an American who's going to be considered blessed on her way to sainthood. And also, she can be claimed by both the Latin Rite and the Byzantine Rite, both lungs of the Church. As I said in the article, she technically always remained Eastern Rite, even though she joined an order, a religious order that was basically Latin Rite. And she did so during a time, we don't know exactly why, other than perhaps that's where God called her, she felt called to go. There was, at the same time, though, some turmoil in the Eastern Catholic Churches in America at that time. This is right at the time when the transition was happening, where in the Eastern Catholic churches, they were no longer permitted to have married priests. Along with this, there was also a struggle for church ownership, a struggle between lay trustees in the parishes and the church authorities, such as the priest and the bishop. And what happened was, there was a great deal of turmoil, a great deal of, great deal of tension at that time, and it resulted in some splits. Part of the Eastern Catholic churches, many members of those churches, those parishes, who believed that the laity had greater ownership in the church, and therefore greater power or say-so. And they also resented the ruling that came from Rome that the Eastern Catholic churches could no longer have their married priests in America. These people created then their own Orthodox Church. They split from the Catholic Church and created their own Orthodox Church. Many of them are in what we call today the Orthodox Diocese of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Some of them went to what is now called the Orthodox Church of America, in other words, the OCA, and in various other Orthodox churches. This was a time of great strife and turmoil in the Eastern Catholic Churches in America. So there is some talk that Sister Miriam and her family gravitated to the Latin Rite at the time because they were trying to get out from under some of this turmoil. Whether that's true or not, or how true that is, I'm not really sure yet, although I will research that for you. But it certainly could have been a contributing factor, and it also gives us some insight into the historical situation at the time. But regardless of that, she's an interesting figure in that she's American, she's both Latin Rite and Eastern Rite all at the same time in a very interesting way. 
So a saint is a saint, a blessed is a blessed, whether east or west. And so the whole church can rejoice, in particular, the eastern churches. She followed God's call. She did what she felt she had to do. So she should be judged in the light of the church's judgment on her, which is that she was very holy. She's beatified. In fact, she has a miracle attributed to her intercession. So October 4th will be a great day for the church east and west, a great day for the church in America, a great day for America. A great day in the church in America is also a great day for America. We tend to lose sight of that in this day and age, but it's still true. So October 4th of this year in New Jersey, she'll be officially beatified. Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovic of New Jersey. So yes, the church does breathe with both lungs, east and west. And sometimes there's a question as to how did that come to be? Why did it come to be? Is it necessary? Sometimes people ask me, especially if they're Latin Rite Catholics, well, why can't the church just be all one? Why can't we all be the same? Are the Eastern churches still relevant today? Well, let's go back to the first question. How did this come to be? How is it that the church breathes with both lungs east and west? Well, actually, to understand that question, we have to look at what really is a fundamental reality or rhythm of life. It seems that God has woven into life a certain element of complementarity or a character of complementarity. It seems like many things work in complement, meaning two different things, things that are different, fit together. They complete each other. It seems to be the way it is in much of creation. You know, God created most living things, male and female. You know, there's a pitcher and a catcher, someone who throws a ball, someone who catches the ball in sports. There is the shore and there's the sea that comes into the shore. The shore receives that sea and sends it back out again in a beautiful rhythm that we all love when we walk along the seashore. There is man and woman. And there is also in civilization a primarily Eastern approach and a primarily Western approach. And by that I mean worldview, how we orient ourselves how we look at things, what we emphasize, the perspective we have. So it seems like this complementarity, again, complementarity does not mean opposites. It means things that are different, not in some sense opposite, but not exactly fully opposite. They're just different, yet their distinguishing characteristic is that they are different yet fit together. And when they come together, there is something unique that happens, a completion of each and something else that is created from that. Just like with families, husband and wife, man and woman come together as husband and wife. And from that union, they complete each other and new life is conceived. Well, it's very much the same in civilization. In fact, in most of the created order, most of nature, and also in the church. The church developed like civilization did along basically complementary lines. So if the church spread to the Eastern cultures, it took on the character the culture was in. If it went West, it took on that character as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about this whole question of why is there East and West? Why does the church breathe it too long? Is that necessary? Is that still relevant? I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is an encore presentation of Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we are rejoicing in the church, east and west, because on October 4th, actually we're rejoicing, should be rejoicing even as a nation and as a whole church in America, because we're going to have an American citizen who's going to be beatified in New Jersey on October 4th. That is Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovic. She was a Byzantine Catholic nun, actually, but she joined a contemplative religious order the nuns of the Sisters of Charity, which of course was started by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and she herself was the first American to be declared a saint. So that's going to happen, and we're going to rejoice in that as a church east and west. And we're answering the question that I'm often asked as to why the church ended up with so-called two lungs, and within those lungs, different rites of the church. And also, is that necessary? Is that relevant? Why can't things be simpler? Why can't we all be one? Well, a good analogy might be, well, first of all, we establish the fact that civilization and the whole created order seems to work along a basic fundamental complementarity. John Paul II used to call this the spells of mystery. But within that complementarity, there is also what I'm going to call many-faceted diamond. Think of the church as a diamond. Even civilization is a diamond. You know, we relish the fact that there is diversity of culture, especially nowadays. We've grown beyond a lot of what were prejudices and suspicions of each other, and we're more and more rejoicing in diversity, celebrating diversity, ethnic diversity. So we see that the human race is made of, well, it's like a diamond, many facets, and we appreciate every facet. Every facet is just as important as the other, and together they all make up the whole diamond. Well, it's very similar in the church. Different expressions, different rites of the church are like the facets of that diamond. The church is that diamond, and the different rites are the different facets. And one of the reasons why I think that's relevant and important is that the church is too great a mystery to be confined or presented or represented in just one way. God is too great of a diamond. He's like an infinite diamond. He can be seen from so many ways, experienced in so many, many ways. And the experience of God 
needs expression. And that expression, because God is so infinite, has to be more than just one way. Because life is like that. You can see many things in different perspectives. You can experience things. You can experience a person. Think about a single person. A person is a mystery. They must be experienced in many ways, like a many-faceted diamond. It's not just one experience of the person. And the church is the same way. The different expressions are necessary because God is so different. (laughs) He is one. He is perfect, of course. He is unchanging being. At the same time, different, meaning there's so many ways he reveals himself, so many ways to express him, and no one way is perfectly adequate. See, that's the key. No one way. The church and God are too big for any one way. You just can't see the whole thing. It's like you can't see it 360 degrees with just one degree, with just one perspective. And so the variety of rites in the church, I believe, are probably by God's providence because there is so many ways to experience God, so many ways, like a shining diamond, like a shining jewel that shines with so many, like a prism, so many colors, so many lights that twinkle. That's, that's how God is. That's how the church is. And so there's got to be more than one way. But are they relevant? How relevant are they? Well, they're relevant in the sense that complementarity what it does is it completes itself. In other words, one side completes the other. Let's take an analogy from life, men and women. A man is completed. In other words, he comes to realize the fullness of his manhood only in relation to woman. This is something that St. John Paul II stressed and articulated very well and exhaustively in his Theology of the Body. He talks about Adam, the first man in his original solitude. He only came to know himself fully When Eve came along, I mean, he knew himself in a large way, but he did not fully understand himself except in relation to Eve and vice versa. And this is stamped in our very bodies, the fact that our bodies are made different. They're made gendered. That gender says, speaks a language, as John Paul II says, of complementarity, that we're made to fit with each other as whole persons, as whole body persons. So complementarity is about things fitting together and completing each other. The Eastern churches need the Western church. The Western church needs the Eastern churches in order to complete one another and actually to complete the fullness of revelation. One church cannot really completely convey adequately. Well, no, no one can completely convey God himself. He is an infinite mystery. But on this earth, we cannot completely convey God in as much as we can on earth with just one way just as man cannot know himself fully except in relation to woman and vice versa. So East and West complete each other, and they come to know each other in relation to one another. Yeah, you know, in order, in order to understand something, you have to be able to compare it to something else. Otherwise, you really have no standard. You have no way of really knowing what something is, except in relation to something else. So the complementary in the church is necessary for the completion of each lung of the church. And also a bringing together, just like in a family, that richness of life. You know, when man and woman as complements come together, they produce new life. That coming together does something for both of them that is unique to them that can only happen when the two of them come together as man and woman, as husband and wife. And then something comes out of that, something wonderful, a new life. So something happens to them, and then something is produced by that. What's the same way in the church? The two lungs of the church complete each other, and then something else comes out of that union. That is this diamond we know as the church, this fuller experience of God's revelation, a fuller expression of God's presence by the fact that we have 
church east and west, like male and female, like man and woman, husband and wife. I've often had people who are Latin right say to me, you know, I experienced the Eastern churches and I really like them. I really, really enjoy it. I really, really appreciate them. And they'll attend with a certain frequency. But then they'll say to me, however, I am Latin right. That's what I really am. It's my first love. It's what I was brought up with. And the one thing that I really miss is that in the Latin rite, when we worship, we do allow some moments of silence. Whereas in Eastern churches, it's the opposite, or maybe I should say the complement. We have continuous sound, continuous words, continuous chant. Sometimes when you listen to Eastern chant, you actually notice that it's sung in an unbroken pattern, as though the singers don't even take a breath, especially when it comes to choirs. They actually can stagger their breathing so that it sounds like one continuous, seamless sound, like it's the angels incessantly and for all eternity singing the praises of God. But people, though, at the same time in their spirituality, they might need some breaks with that. They may need some silence, some rest stops along the way spiritually. And that is why, then, they would find the Latin Rite Church, which has its worship more along those lines. They would find the Latin Rite Church to be more amenable to their spirituality. So something is missing in the East. As much as they like the East, as rich as it is, there's still something missing for them. And that's why we need the other lung of the church, and then vice versa. There are those that want a more, shall I say, kinesthetic or engaging type of worship, and so they gravitate towards the East. And then there are those that need what the West has to offer. So it is good that we have each other. A lot of times when Catholics may be having some difficulty in the church for whatever reason, they can find a place in the church, East or West. In other words, an Eastern right person, for whatever reason, they may be having some difficulties. They can still stay within the church by experiencing the Western lung of the church. May they find a home in there, maybe temporarily, maybe for a long time, and vice versa. Again, that's another beauty of the complementary of the church, that people can still find a home in there, even though they may wander within that home for whatever reason, not judging them. But there is still a place that they can hopefully be, that they can land for a critical time in their life or maybe for the rest of their life. And that's another great, great attribute of the complementarity of the churches. Another aspect of this complementarity, in fact, I'll stretch it a bit to say of the unity of the churches, East and West, where they are in union with each other, is that we can move about freely in each other's worlds. Even though we belong to our own world, east or west, we can still feel free to move about with each other in those worlds. That's one of the things that I find very helpful as an Eastern Catholic. I can be very much at home in the Latin Rite and availing myself of their riches. And at the same time, that does not in any way compromise to diminish my true home, which of course is the Eastern Rite. And vice versa. Someone who is Latin right should be able to feel very much at home, moving about in the home of the Eastern churches without compromising or giving up in any way their own original Latin right heritage and spirituality. And I think because of that, we can avail ourselves of each other's riches. We're not closed off. I think that's one of the unfortunate aspects of the schism, the lack of union between, for instance, the Orthodox churches and the Latin right church. There's a bit of a chasm there. They can enjoy each other's riches to a certain extent, but they're not as free to actually come over to the other side, just kind of walk around. It's like inviting somebody into your home and come and stay with us for a while and just kind of experience us and learn from us and be enriched by it. 
when you have a schism, you're not as free to do that. And that's really unfortunate. That's one of the aspects of being in union with Rome, that however imperfect it may be historically, still it has that opportunity, which I think is a real treasure to be able to move about freely in each other's houses without compromising who we are. I think that really is part of the genius and maybe God's providence in having the church develop along the two lungs, the two complementary ways of experiencing and expressing God. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!